The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. We're talking about gates. We're talking about gates. And, and, and last week, last week we talked about Genesis chapter 22 when the Lord told Abraham he's going to bless his seed as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And we're those stars. The Israel nation is the sand of the sea. We're the stars. We're the people that have been grafted in. And uh, he said, he said to Abraham last week that your seed will possess the gates of the enemy. Then I went over to Genesis chapter 28 and I was talking about Jacob running away from Esau after he stole the birthright. Came to a dry place called Luz in Genesis 28 and slept on a hard rock and had a had a dream of angels ascending and descending from heaven. He woke up the next morning, he anointed the place, and he said, surely the Lord was here and I knew it not. And he said, this is a, it's a dreadful place. What he was saying was, it's a wild place. Because when the Lord is there, it's a wild place. And he anointed it and he called it Bethel, the house of God. And he said, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. We're in the gate of heaven tonight. We're in the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate of heaven. And when there's an anointing in that house, when there is a power of the anointing in that house, things happen. People get ministered to in that kind of house. Then we went to Matthew 16. We talked about the Lord at Caesarea Philippi asking his boys, who do men say I am? Pete said it. We'll, We'll talk about that a little bit later in our sermon tonight. But we talked about gates, possessing gates. And tonight we're going to talk about possessing the gates. We're going to call it part two. And I want you to turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. I do have a lot of ground to cover, a lot of material to cover. But say, pastor, preach to us, teach to us tonight. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Teach to us tonight, pastor. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Teach to us tonight, Pastor. Let us leave here a different person than what I was when I came in. And I love you, and you may be seated. God bless you. You're awesome, awesome people. Thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. Possessing the gates tonight. Once again, Genesis 22 and 17 says, Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. God promised Abram one day to get out of your country unto a land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And Abram did as God said. He left the Ur of the Chaldees, left family, left friends, left his calling, left his job And went looking for a city that had a foundation whose builder and maker was God. And later God called Abram to follow him. And while the two were conversing, God reminded Abram of the original promise of the land, of the land. And Abram Abram asked, how can I be certain that you, God, will come through with your part of the deal? And God said three words, get a heifer. Get a heifer. And Abram's heart pounded with excitement. He knew what God meant. The contract, the contract was about to be signed. God's love was coming down. 
and God loves to come down. God had promised Abraham real estate, and Abraham was, Abram was expectant of that real estate, and sacrificing a heifer was the language of contracts in those days. And when God said, get a heifer, Abram knew he was about to make a contract with God. In the Middle Eastern world, a covenant was an all-encompassing agreement between two parties. And the closest comparison of our modern culture is marriage. In fact, some of the things I'll say tonight, you can, you can relate to the marriage contract or the co marriage covenant. But with the current prevalence of divorce and even marriage doesn't compare with what I'm going to talk about tonight. Once a person entered into a covenant in the ancient Middle Eastern world, specifically a blood covenant, no one could be released from a blood covenant. Everybody say nobody. nobody. Not you, not me. Abram's culture, covenants or alliances were common. God communicated with humanity on those terms. It was a vehicle that the people and that country would immediately understand God loves to come down. After the fall of Adam and Eve and at the time of Abram, the creation had gone awry. And people continued to sin against God and they were making covenant was a way God could demonstrate his love for humanity and a deep desire for fellowship with the same. Covenant making ceremonies were done in open, folks. They were done publicly. They had a lot of witnesses. In the gates of the city many times or in open fields and before great crowds of people who witnessed these covenant-making ceremonies. Why would God use such an unusual human comprehended ritual? Simply, very, very, very simple. God loved Adam and Eve. God loved his people. He desired to get his people a perpetual promise to show his love, to give them hope. Our God is a loving and a caring and a giving God. Now quickly tonight, I want to I go through the steps of covenant making. I'm not going to drag it on. It's not going to be boring, I promise. I'm going to make it quick. I will not preach long on this tonight or teach long. But there are ten steps to covenant making, and so I know some of you will say, Oh God, he's just on number three. He's just on number six. But I'll be through before you can even bat your eye. Step number one is exchanging of robes. When people came to make a covenant contract with one another, the exchange robes, that represented the exchange of their identity. The two parties would take their outer garments and exchange them. Let's say Tom here. Tom, stand up. Stand up, Brother Tom. And Brother Kelly. Brother Kelly, stand up. Let's say Tom and Kelly make a covenant and they exchange outer garments. If someone saw one of the partners from a distance, he or she might say, here comes Tom. But wait, he doesn't walk like Tom. He's not built like Tom. But isn't that Tom's robe he's wearing? The exchange of robes represented a confusion of identity to people that saw the garment coming. Step number two, you may be seated, guys. Exchange of belts. They would exchange belts. It represented an exchange of strength. Large belts from which military gear was hung. They shared strength or assets. My covenant partner would be saying to me, Rex, everything I bring into this relationship is now yours. And everything you have is now mine. Our strengths and our assets are now combined. Think about this. When God made a covenant with Abram, God was saying, when they see you, Abram, they will see me. For my strength will be your strength. The third thing they did in a covenant was exchange weapons. Those weapons hung on the belt. 
This would symbolize an exchange of enemies. My covenant partner would be saying, Rex, if anybody comes against you, he or she is going to have to get by me first. I kind of like that if he's big as Earl. <laughs> because we're now partners, and my task is to protect you, and I would be his protector as well. In truth, folks, loyal friends naturally do that even now because that is covenant. Step four, a blood sacrifice. I told you I was going to move on. The sacrifice of an animal or several animals. The animal must be cut, hence the term blood covenant. So before the exchange with Abram, God had made other covenants with mankind, namely the Edenic covenant, when mankind would rule over the earth. Then God made the Adamic covenant. Eve's son would eventually prevail, and boy, did he ever. And the Noahic covenant, Noah would start the human race over again, and God would not destroy it until the end of time. But then came the Abrahamic covenant. It's the most significant to believers today. Why? There's three major reasons. Number one, it was a blood covenant. It was blood. So it will never be broken and it surely will come to pass. The second, it's an everlasting covenant forever and ever. You and I can count on it to exist forever and ever. His covenants will never go away. He put a bow in the cloud for Noah and said, I'll never destroy the earth by water again. And he hadn't done it, has he? The cloud, the, 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 the bow in the cloud worked. And then God made a covenant to Abram to all of Abram's descendants. And we Christians are Abraham's descendants. We are the grafted in branch of his descendants. And for the promise, Romans 4 and 13 says that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So then... So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, Galatians 3 and 9. Now, every time a blood covenant was made, a sacrifice was needed. Life had to be given and blood must be shed. The fifth, the fifth act of the covenant was the walk of death. The heifer was cut in half from the underside, sliced down through its, through its belly area. Legs were folded out and the animal was laid flat on the ground with his arms and legs spread out, his, both, all of his hoofs spread out. Abram did this to a heifer, to a goat, and to a ram in Genesis 15. The covenant partners stood facing each other in the open field and the animal lay cut between the two of them. And the partners literally walked through the mass of blood. One walked through and came out on the left side and one walked through and came out on the right side, almost like a figure eight in the process. Eight's the number of new beginnings. And this was a common practice in that day. The Bible does not go into every detail. So today if I said that men entered, two men entered into a contract, you would naturally know that words were written on paper, that the two men signed their names to the paper, and they shook hands, and further the contract would be notarized by an independent third party. And all I said was they entered into a contract. But see, you would know what that contract was, and what they knew back then was what a covenant was. In Scripture, when it says he cut the animal, Abraham cut the animal, and then a horror of darkness fell upon Abram, it is enough to know that God and Abram went through the walk of death together. And then number six is the mark on the body. It's getting exciting now, fixing to get exciting. The mark on the body. Striking of the hands. In the Hebrew culture, the hand included the wrist. And partners made an incision into their wrist with either a blunt object, a sharp rock, or a knife. And the two would put their wrists together. And the mingling of the blood 
it was called striking of hands. They would do this. They would strike their wrist and their hands together. Some cultures today still practice this. And taking an abrasive substance like gunpowder and rubbing it in to darken the area under the skin, it makes the wound more pronounced. It's discolored and it's permanent mark on the body and so when they walk into other tribes and countries they can hold up their hands and they'll see all kinds of, of, of contracts and all kinds of covenants on their arms and they know that they have cut covenant with somebody somewhere in their life see folks let me stop now the tradition of waving our hand and greeting comes from a covenant time or showing your mark when you wave at somebody you're saying hey I'm your friend let me tell you something better than that when you raise your hands to the Lord it's saying, you see my hands, I'm in covenant with you. And when you clap your hands, you're striking it again and saying, I don't care how much I bleed, how much it hurts, I'm going to praise you no matter what because I am in covenant with the Almighty. Mm. When you shake hands with a brother, it comes from cutting covenant. Two people would clasp hands and blood would fleshly from the freshly cut wrist would flow together. That's why in Isaiah 49 you understand the scripture. God states, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. <laughs> you know the only man-made thing in heaven is the scars in the hands of Jesus Christ. I think every now and then he looks at him and he says, I just feel like blessing some of my kids today. Because those scars will be there and we'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. Now, I'm telling you, that's a fact. They didn't go away. Even in his glorified body on this earth, they still recognize him. Thomas saw him. When he walked through a room, Thomas said, if I can touch the hand prints and I can touch the, the side, then I'll know he's the Messiah. And the Lord said, come here, Thomas. Put your hand in my hand and put your hand in my side. I am he that you're talking about. I'm telling you, folks, Almighty Jesus Christ is our covenant partner today. Amen. Amen. I'm going to preach in a little while. Step number seven is a pronouncement of blessing and cursing or curses. This occurred in the presence of witnesses. After cutting the heifer and walking through the pieces and striking the hands, the partners faced one another, and each one said these words. Here's the words they said. So long as you keep the terms of this covenant, Blessed shall you be when you go out and when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you rise up and when you lay down. Blessed shall be your wife. Blessed shall be your children. Blessed shall be all that you put your hands to. Because the culture revolved around an agrarian and agriculture economy. Blessed shall your oxen be and your donkeys and your fields and the produce of your fields. And after pause he'd say, but if you violate the terms of this covenant... Cursed shall you be when you rise up or when you lay down. Cursed shall be your wife, your children. Cursed shall be your oxen, your donkeys, and your land. These pronouncements signify that two people were entering into oneness. And step number eight was the covenant meal. A meal was shared, but they did not feed themselves first. They fed each other first. It kind of reminds you when bride and groom get married and they cut that cake you know what I'm talking about and if there's a real smart aleck groom or something he'll try to get a piece about this big to put in the mouth of his bride and she can't get it all there he'll just rub it all <laughs> better check that covenant man out just thought I'd say that 
As you're ingesting this food, they will say, you're ingesting me, you're taking me into your life. And that brings to mind Jesus' words that turned away so many followers in John chapter 6. He said, paraphrase, verily I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But if you do this, you dwell in me and I in him, and he has eternal life. That's a tough passage, folks. It's hard for the world to understand. God and Abram had an everlasting covenant. Through Jesus Christ, God has entered into a covenant with all of us. If you agree to abide by my covenant, then God's identity becomes your identity. God's strength becomes your strength, and God's weapons become your weapons, and your enemies become God's enemies, and God's pronouncement of blessing and curses apply to you also. That's good stuff. The covenant meal is your signature of acceptance. And then step number nine, I told you it wouldn't take long. We exchange names. I like this part. Partners once again stood facing each other in an open field, okay? If I was making a covenant with Kelly Hired, Brother Kelly, stand up again, our prayer pastor. I would say, Kelly, in order to let my enemies know that my covenant partner, who my covenant partner is, I will take your name and put it in the middle of mine. So I'll no longer be known as Rex Johnson. I'll be known as Rex Howard Johnson. And you'll no longer be known as Kelly Howard. You'll be known as Kelly Johnson Howard. Now that don't do as much for me as it does when I say, when I take on the covenant of Jesus Christ, I'll be known as Rex Jesus Johnson. That feels pretty good. Now, that occurred when God made covenant with Abram. Now, I'm, 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 fixing, I'm fixing to go off here, folks. I'm sorry. If you've come to hear a good old dry Bible study, it's about over. <laughs> that occurred when God made covenant with Abram. The man's name changed from Abram to Abraham. See that A-H in there? Is that it? It comes from Yahweh. It appears 6,800 times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew spelling is Y-H-W-H, which means Jehovah. Yahweh is Jehovah God. Hallelujah. Lord, when it's all capitals in the Old Testament, is God's name Yahweh. And God doesn't stop there. True to making covenant, God takes Abraham's name too. And from that point on, he calls himself the God of of Abraham. I want to tell you something. We need to strike our hands a little bit tonight. We need to lift our hands a little. We need to pronounce some things out of our system tonight. We need to say that my enemies are God's enemies and I'm God's foe and I, I'm, God's, I'm God's friend and God's for me because we need to understand when God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I got time to preach a little bit. <laughs> Only one more step to go. One more thing for Abraham to do. This one brings possession of the gates of the enemy. This step has to happen. Although it happens later, it must, it's a must to seal the covenant that God has established with this man named Abram in Genesis chapter 15. 
Step number 10, folks, is one that people don't know a lot about. The two parties exchange their oldest boys. In other words, tradition stated that in order to seek the agreement, such as to prove that the covenant was for real, they exchanged the older sons. And the sons would actually move into the house of the covenant partner and be raised. It was a painful event, but one that would prove the covenant was for real. But I can remember one time when it wasn't a painful experience. Because there was a king one time named David that went to sit on a throne. And he was anointed by Samuel. A whole six quarts was poured on his head at Jesse's house. Then he was anointed the second time at Hebron. The third time at Hebron, he became the king of Judah, then the king of Israel. And David sitting on his throne one day, several years later, and he happens to look down at his hands. He's had all kinds of victories and all kinds of battles. He's whipped the Philistines. He's destroyed the Amalekites. He's destroyed a lot of the enemy. And he looks down and he sees a scar on his hand. And it takes him back to a young man named Jonathan. And I just felt the Holy Ghost. And he's thinking... Jonathan and Saul, his daddy, were killed at Mount Gilboa. But do you think there might be somebody left in his house that I could show kindness to? And he asked around, oh, I'm fixing to, brother, just hold on. Oh, I feel this in my spirit. He said, go ask. And he said, yeah, there's a, there's a young man named Mephibosheth. Jonathan's son, but he's lame on both feet. He would just be a he'd just be a plague at the house of God. He'd be a plague around the palace. He lives down there in Lodabar. He's in a dry place. He's in a dark place. He lives with his uncle Makar. And David said, "Here's the words." He said, "Go fetch him. Go get him right now, because this scar with his daddy Jonathan will never go away." And I will reclaim everything in Jonathan's house and show them the kindness and favor that God has shown me. And they went down to Lodabar. And they went in there. He was on his lame legs. A nurse had dropped him when Saul and Jonathan had been destroyed at Gilboa. A nurse was taking him out and trying to get the, la- the little prince out of the palace. And she dropped him and it broke his legs. And his legs were hurt and harmed the rest of his life. And he never got any attention because any time he would go to a doctor, somebody would turn him in and they would kill the prince. So he hid away in a dry place a long way off in Lodabar. But all of a sudden, here come a, here come a passel of men from David's kingdom. And chariots and horses and they ride up to the house and they say, is there a man named Mephibosheth in the house? And they said, no. Because they thought he was going to die. And then somebody said, the king desires to see him in his place. We want to take him to the king. We will take him there with kindness. And they load him in the chariot and they go back to Jerusalem. 
And when he walks in or comes in with help into the kingdom, he falls on the floor and he says, I am a dog. He knows that the death knell is coming. And David looks at this young man crippled and wounded and lost and broken and thinking that nobody cared anymore. But here's a king that had a covenant mark in his hand. And he could never get away from the covenant mark in his hand. And he said, get up, son. Your name is not dog. Your name is Mephibosheth.